hello, and welcome to another episode of Entirely the Right Sort of Podcast, a King Killer Chronicle podcast where we talk about some of the colorful characters um, in Patrick Rothfuss's story. I'm your host. My name is RJ, and that stands for Resplendent Jewelry. Perhaps a gift some someone would like to get around the holidays. I think um, Malo and Lackless would enjoy some resplendent jewelry. Alvaron's probably probably got her that for a midwinter's gift. Um, listen, I know we've been we've been traveling around a bit, hitting different ends while we've been talking to different characters. So I've been kind of hard to reach. Um, but we spent some. We're I'm spending some time in Tarbian right now. Um, gathering the stench has been terrible while well, i've been information gathering but you know you gotta get your story somehow right um but a, a traveling tinker caught up with me today with a few letters from our readers one of which is about the character we are discussing today and that is scarpy the storyteller he is quite a pivotal character for both really um unlocks his sleeping mind and we don't spend too much time with him, but he really, um, there's a, there's a lot to parse with Scarpy. The pages with him are very, very dense. Um, off the top, I wanted to examine something and that something is, um, the possibility that Scarpy's story is not true or is, um, hiding the truth or maybe not the entire truth. Um, which would change Quoth's fundamental narrative and kind of reasons for seeking the Chandrian and thought process about the Chandrian and um, Haliax. But I think we can also infer that Arladin's story and Scarpy's story are, are similar. Um, and I want to make sure that I note up top before I get too mired down in my notes that Quoth takes these stories to be true, but I think it's possible that they're not. Um, I think it's worth considering. Um, and I think it's worth asking what if Denna's patron is is pushing her towards the truth, the real truth, and that and that Quoth's story is wrong. Um, not Quoth's story, but Scarby's story about um Lanray Lyra, Selitos, Mirtorennial, and the creation of Haliax. Um, you know, it's a, that line of question has huge implications. I think it's worth considering. Um, and we know that, that we know that Arladin was telling a story of, of Lanry's fall. Um, I think we can infer that pretty well. We know Arladin was also looking for old names of the Chandrian that he'd been researching them for, I think at least six months. Um, and that he did come up across a mention of, of someone cloaked in shadow or shadow hamed, which, which pretty, which confirms to me kind of solidly that Scarpies and Arladin's story were one and the same. So whether or not that story is true, there are certainly a number of children. And then the, the people in the bar who heard that story heard Lanray's story and how he turned into Haliax. I don't think this necessarily puts them all in danger. Um, and I don't think Scarpy was in danger saying Haliax once. If he had said Alaxel, maybe, if that really is his true name. Um, we can, I mean, I'm pretty sure that is his true name based on what Bass knows, but but I digress. Uh, I'm 
it's possible that that anyone who heard Scarpy's story, though, is contributing to the din of whispers about the Chandrian that Quoth mentions in the frame story, right? Because he said folk are going to be telling more and more old stories these days. Um, now, I would think Scarpy's story is certainly not going to be heard by as many people as Zena's story, this, uh, which is called the Song of Seven Sorrows, I think, depicts Lan- depicting Lanre as the hero. Um, man, that would just make the tragedy of whatever happens between Denna and Quoth so much more bitter if Quoth discovers how wrong he was and that this, this world-shaking story he heard was actually false. Um, so I think that's, that's something good to, to talk about off the top about Scarp. Um, and now I'm going to get into the segment I always do, which is our seven things, seven things about the character that we know or suspect. So, um, Scarpy's appearance, he's described as having tanned skin, eyes like diamonds, which we'll get into a bit. Um, what color eyes that might be. He has thick white hair. He's skinny like a scarecrow as well. And he also has a mesmerizing voice described like distant thunder and also like honey. Fact number two, he's traveling with Scarpy in the, or he's traveling with Chronicler, sorry, in the frame narrative. Number three, when Quoth meets him in Tarbian, he, he has some sort of ritual with the kid's dockside at the half mast where he tells a story in exchange for coins. Number four, he knows Quoth's name or at least calls a name that Quoth recognizes as his, whether or not this is Quoth's true deep name or if Scarpy really knew Quoth somehow, um, we'll discuss later. Number five, he tells Quoth and the other children a story of the creation of the angels um, the day after he tells the Lanray story, which he is then taken away for uh, on a heresy charge. But number six, Scarpy has friends in the church, he says, um, and he doesn't really seem that afraid of being arrested. He really like stands up to the, to the Talons. Number seven, most crucially, most crucially, 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 he tells Quoth and the children the story that wakes him out of his sleeping mind. The story of Lanran Lyra, of Selitos, and of Mir Terennial. The story, as Scarby says, of a man who lost his eye and gained a better sight. So let's get into what we know about Scarpy and his appearances, even though they're brief, his appearances and mentions in the KKC. Quoth learns about him his third year in Tarbian, when Scarpy's been hanging out in the half-mast in Dockside, telling stories Sixth Bell. Quoth is intrigued um, because he hears that there's the man promises a whole talent um, if you ask him to tell a story, he doesn't know. So Quoth goes, even though it's dangerous, uh, pikes down Dockside, as well as some guards that he'd rather not see again. Scarpy seems to have a ritual with the local kids who are the ones most interested. Um, when he finishes his drink and turns the cup upside down, the story ends. We hear some of the other um, myths and heroes um, shouted out, but the story of Lanray is the one Scarpy chooses to tell. Quoth requests it, um, which is something Scarpy notes. He's like, did I hear someone say Lanray? So he orders a glass of Fallow's Red, 
and drinks from his clay mug and, and the story begins. This of course is the story that wakes both sleeping mind, the story he takes as the springboard for his quest to find the Chandrian and also to learn more about the Amir because he remembers what Aliac says, who keeps you safe from the singers, the Sith and the Amir. A huge, 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 huge moment. Um, and, and, um, really, I don't know if Quoth hadn't heard this story, how much more time he would have spent in Tarbian. Um, I mean, this is three years of his life now kind of, um, sorry, I dropped something kind of in this, in this feral survival mindset, um, in this place that, as he says, is so awful to him. So I, I hope that he wouldn't have stayed much longer, but I don't know what else would have kind of shaken him out of his, his protective state. Lanray is the first or, uh, the first story that Scarpy tells, um, we don't really hear, we don't, well, we don't hear all of the second or all of the second story he tells, right. But we also remember here, the story of Taylor and Canis from Trappist down in the basement. So this is the third story within a story within a story we get in Tarbian. I remember, um, Tarbian really, I feel, I mean, you have to, you, when you're reading the book for the first time, Tarbian took me a while to get through because all this world building was a lot when you're also dealing with this poor kid getting the shit kicked out of him after he lost his parents. I feel like if you can get to the university, you're going to make it. Um, but man, those three years in Tarbian are tough. Anyway, um, at the time of the frame story, remember, Scarpy is traveling with Chronicler. Quoth makes a comment about them being rumor mongers, um, which I know I mentioned last episode. I found that an odd comment. I, thinking back, I do wonder if it was more of a joke or just kind of like poking at, at, at Chronicler. Um, Quoth also does say he assumed Scarpy would be the first one to find him. And that sticks out to me because he that uh, means he expects he expected or wanted to be found which you know is is significant i think scarpy um when when quoth is meets him um now that he's 15 scarpy is old he's one of the oldest people quoth has seen to that point however i don't know how old he really is um he's spry enough to travel when quoth is an adult and i don't think chronicler has been carrying him like Kronk carried yzma and emperor's new groove um so i assume he's in his mid 50s mid 60s again with it is his description he has eyes like diamonds and the body of a driftwood scarecrow which are which are contradictory to me maybe almost one diamond sharp and keen and glittering um, a driftwood scarecrow sounds to me yeah, like he's beat up, cobbled together, and very angular. Um, he's also got thick white hair on his arms and thick eyebrows, which I think Foth describes as looking uh, like seafoam. And he has deep tan skin. Now, I, now, eyes like diamonds. Hello, this is editing RJ from the future. Here I have cut out an entire segment where I did not read following pages of Name of the Wind and realized that Scarpy's eyes are in fact 
blue. Uh, I hemmed and hawed for a while about what colors diamonds can be and uh, what color I saw the eyes as. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's blue. It's blue, folks. So I'm gonna cut back into after I <laughs> stop being goofy. Maybe blue, and they some people online connect Scarpy with Skiop, who is the um, traveler in Kfo's story about the Indy Maru who visits the different fires of the Adem, the Atorans, you know, the Sealdish, the Vintish, and the Adem, I believe. Um, so some people think Scarpy and Skiop are the same person, and I will we'll get into later if um, Scarpy is meant to be a representation, an allegory, or in fact is someone else, which I don't always abide by those theories that someone equals someone else, but I think it is possible. I also, eyes like diamonds, I mean, I'm sure there's there was costume jewelry and that I'm sure Kvothe has, young Kvothe has seen diamonds um, or knows about them, but then that makes me wonder, like, where are the diamond mines in Timorant? What's the, I mean, what's the, who's mining them? I'm getting off track. So, um, let's just, I want, let's dive into the, to the Scarpy chapters and the Scarpy stories, stories within the stories within the story. Um, and I'm just gonna, I think I'm going to do what I did really with the the Bast episode when I went through the lightning tree is um, I wrote down some notes here and I'm just going to kind of go through what happens. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to speed run Lanray because I covered his story in, in uh, my podcast about Lyra and I will probably do a Haliax Chandrian um, podcast later. So um, I'm not, I'm not going to really talk about that, but I'll, I will, covered here and and what happens before and after because it's so pivotal and i want to make sure i cover the other story he tells with alef selitos telu and then um telu's angels which seems to be a follow-up from the story he told the day before and it's a shame quoth sleeps through the first part of it i really wonder what he missed so we are in the name of the wind here there's some interesting things um in first of all the chapter Lanray turned is also the chapter where Quoth um tells us about him finding Pike's little hideaway and burning his stuff so that's why he's afraid to go dockside um and I discussed I discussed Scarpy a bit um there's 20 kids at his feet um which again signifies to me that he's been here a little while and then they give him they give him all sorts of money and then um the stories the kids ask for are interesting we hear two about they want one wants a fairy story two on Orin Velsiter one wants Lartum L A R T A M who we haven't heard one says mere Terennial. um in and this is in my 10th anniversary edition um, which that's interesting to me, Ilian and the bear, and that's spelled I L L I E N. So is that the Adima Rue Ilian, I guess? And then Lanray. Um, 
And then, of course, sorry, there's the younger girl who wants to hear about the dry lands over the storm wall and the sand snakes who come out of the grounds like sharks and the dry men who hide under the dunes and drink your blood instead of water. That sounds terrifying. Um, so, Scarpy first frames it as the story of a man who lost his eye and gained a better sight. Uh, and that's Selitos. Um, and then, um, and then he calls it Lanray and the creation war, an old, old story. He begins speak and listen for, I will speak of the shining city as it once was years and miles away. And as we're beginning to talk about mere Terennial, let's also remember the Adam remember Tarennial as one of the seven cities that fell. Um, the only one that's remembered and then the eighth city that did not fall, um, its name has also been lost to time. And the other cities we have are Belen, Antus, Veret, Tenusa, Emlin, and the twin cities of Marilla and Morella. I believe, um, man, Tenusa sounds a lot like Tenue. Belen, um, and Belen, you know, Belen Baron is where the university is in the central Commonwealth. So that that's two of them that we kind of know. And then I believe Morella is a city. Florian says she was sitting on the walls of, um, eating fruit from a silver tree or something like that. Then those were the only eight cities that remained, you know, at the time of the creation war, um, where the story begins. Scarpy's story makes it sound a bit like all the eight cities were burned, I think. I think, I think. Myrterennial, Landray's allies had brought about the ruin of the last bastions of the empire. And that empire is Ergen. This story is just so um, mythical and, and scary and just... Uh, beyond a time that I can imagine right with the world dark with war and these, these heroes able, you know, this was the time of the knowers, the shapers, the namers. Um, and man, this is, this is, this is well-written. This shit is well-written. Good job, Pat. And in, in reading this, you know, Celatos does, offer Lanray a choice, even though he sees him and sees his darkness, he does say, is there nothing then? No hope. There is sweetness in life. Even after all of this, I will help you look for it if you will try. And this is after Lanray has, has named himself Haliac said, I am no longer the Lanray you knew. Mine is a new and terrible name. I am Haliac's and no door can bar my passing. All is lost to me. No lyra, no sweet escape of sleep, no blissful forgetfulness. Even madness is beyond me. Death itself is an open doorway to my power. There is no escape. I have only the hope of oblivion after everything is gone and the alu fall nameless from the sky. Oh, whoops. Then it says right after that mirror... Okay, six cities destroyed, but that meant all was not lost. One city still remained. And then, in spite of all that happened, Selitos looked at Lanray with pity. Um, 
and says, is there nothing, no hope? There is sweetness in life. Even after all of this, I will help you look for it if you will try. Lanry says, no, there is nothing sweet. I will sow salt, lest the bitter weeds grow. And that's when Selato says, look, my sight has never been clouded before. I failed to see the truth inside your heart. Um, and that's when he stabs out his eye. Um, and in doing so, he says, may I never again be so blind and the Lanry's enchantments fall off him. And that's when he binds Lanry with his own blood and that stone that he poked his eye out, I feel like is a candidate for things to be inside the lackless box. Um, and again, uh, Sally Toes dooms him until the Alu fall nameless from the sky. Um, and then, you know, and then the story ends. And, um, yeah. And then Scarpy and Quoth talk. And there's some, there's some really nice quote, quotes in here. <laughs> quotes. <laughs> and um, stuff that makes Quoth think of his dad. And it's really touching. And then, and then we kind of roll into his eyes, um, or rather his sleeping mind waking up. And let me, let me clarify, um, the, his eyes are blue. They're diamond blue, according to my 10th anniversary. So sorry about earlier when I didn't know what color his eyes really were. And I'm not going to do the deep voice again. Um, but I do love, love, love this quote. From Scarpy. I only know one story, but oftentimes small pieces seem to be stories themselves. It's growing all around us in the manor houses of the Kildim and in the workshops of the Keldar, over the storm wall and the great sand sea, and the low stone houses of the Adem, full of silent conversation. And sometimes the story is growing in squalid backside, backstreet bars, dockside in Tarbian. Um, and then Quoth asks if the story is true. Um, and Quoth, or, uh, Scarpy says all stories are true, but this one really happened. If that's what you mean, more or less, you have to be a bit of a liar to tell the story, tell a story right, the right way. Too much truth confuses the facts. Too much honesty makes you sound sincere. And Quoth says, my father used to say the same thing. And, and and that makes him emotional and start backing toward the exit. Um, he says, I'll be here tomorrow. Or I'll be here if I can. Um, and Scarpy says, I know. And when we get at chapter 27, his eyes unveiled. Um, yeah, there, sorry. I got lost reading it a little bit again because I forgot you know, Quoth didn't really remember Haliax until he sees this Talon priest um, with a torch, um, gives a woman some money, and Quoth is trying to stay out of his line of sight. When he turned to look in my direction, I could see nothing of his face, only darkness under the cowl of his hood, only shadow. And that image throws open a door in his mind. The door of forgetting, maybe. And memories are spilling out. 
and he remembers Cinder, he remembers Haliax, and then he he he's been something's been nagging at him nagging at him about scarpy's story and he runs back to his little rooftops and then he everything kind of this whole story kind of clicks for him in a couple pages um the chandrian were real haliacs were real if the story scarpy had told was true then lanray and haliacs were the same person the chandrian had killed my parents my whole troop why and this is before I think this is even before, um, I mean, obviously the Chandrian were there, but Scarpy didn't mention the Chandrian. I mean, but, you know, clearly Cloth is making that connection. And then Cinder saying someone's parents have been singing entirely the wrong sort of songs. So we get, um, we, this is where Cloth decides they'd killed my parents for gathering stories about them. They'd killed my whole troop over a song. And then with that, he slowly comes to realize that as the truth. What did I do then? Did I swear I would find them, kill them all for what they had done? Perhaps. But even if I did, I knew in my heart it was impossible. Tarbiana taught me hard practicality. Kill the Chandrian? Kill Lanray? How could I even begin? I would have more luck trying to steal the moon. At least I knew where to look for the moon at night. And then he decides tomorrow he'll ask Scarpy for the real truth behind the stories. Um, and decides to go to bed. But of course he oversleeps. Then we get um, into... So that's chapter 26, Lanray turned. Chapter 27, his eyes unveiled. And then we get into chapter 28, Taylor's watchful eye. So much so much eye stuff. Um, poor Celatos's eye. Um, so this is the creation of the angels, I believe from the Ruach. And I guess that's, I, I, I take it, um, as the, the beings that existed before the Fey world split. I, well, I mean, this is, it's interesting because I guess we don't know when exactly Jack stole the moon. Well, no, Jack's okay. Never mind. I'm sorry. Jack stealing the moon created human and the Fae, but I guess everyone was still. Anyway, the Ruach. I don't really know who they are. Um, so this is like several different huge power players because it acknowledges Telu's power, but also talks about Aleph, who Quoth does in the beginning of this book say, spun the world out of nothing. So is that like a higher God? I guess, you know, anyway, I, I, some of this is beyond me. Aleph says all personal things must be set aside. And that Celatos must only punish or reward what he witnesses from this day forth. And Celatos says, I'm sorry, but my heart says to me, I must try to stop these things before they are done, not wait and punish later. And, and some of the, some of the Ruach, um, agree with Celatos and go to stand with him. Um, and this is after Celatos, I guess, it seems we've come in on Aleph gives Celatos a task and Celatos is asked, 
has asked, if I do this thing, will I be given the power to avenge the loss of the Shining City? Can I found the plots of Lamdrian and his Chandrian? Um, and Aleph says, no. Selato says, I must refuse. I can't forget. But I will oppose him with these faithful Ruach beside me. I see their hearts are pure. We will be called the Amir in memory of the ruined city. We will confound Landray and any who follow him. Nothing will prevent us from attaining the greater good. Most of the Ruach don't join him. Telu comes forward. And then Telu says, I hold justice foremost in my heart. I will leave this world behind that I might better serve it serving you. And I believe that is meant to Aleph. So he kneels before him, his head bowed, his hands open at the side at his sides. So we see Selitos and and a f- not really many um are the first Amir. And then Aleph, or I'm sorry, Telu, we get the name of of Telu's angels, and we know the last two, Andin and Ordal, um from Nina who remember tore a page out of the book of the path, which is the Talon book. So, um, man, the, we have tall Kirill who would, these are the, um, the ones who came forward with Talu tall Kirill who had been burned, but left living in the ash of mere Terennial Dia who had lost two husbands to the fighting and whose faith and mouth face and mouth and heart were hard and cold as stone endless who would not carry a sword or eat the flesh of animals and who no man had ever known to speak hard words. Fair Geza, who had a hundred suitors in Belen before the walls fell. The first woman to know the unasked-for touch of man. The Celta, who laughed easily and often, even when there was woe thick about him. Emmet, hardly more than a boy who never sang and killed swiftly without tears. Ordal, the youngest of them all, who had never seen a thing die, stood bravely before Aleph, her golden hair bright with ribbon. And beside her came Andon, whose face was a mask with burning eyes, whose name meant anger. And we get into this. And so Aleph, I, Aleph touches them and touches their hands and eyes and heart. And that's when wings tear from their backs that they might go where they wished. Then Aleph, uh, spoke their long names and they were wreathed in a white fire. The fire danced along their wings and they became swift. The fire flickered in their eyes and they saw into the deepest hearts of men. The fire filled their mouths and they sang star songs of power. Then the fire settled on their foreheads like silver stars and they became at once righteous and wise and terrible to behold. Then the fire consumed them and they were gone forever from mortal sight. Um, I know I've, I've, I know I've read those parts before, some of that before, especially the wings part, because I, I skipped over its wings of fire and shadow, wings of iron and glass, wings of stone and blood. Um, none with the most powerful can see them, and only then with great difficulty and at great peril. They meet out justice to the world, and Taylor is the greatest of them all. And, 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 and then he's stopped. So this story, too, I mean, really gives you... Um, you a lot to chew on and i really i don't think we really hear quoth mention this or question the ruach i feel like maybe this story wasn't as well it wasn't as pivotal to him he didn't hear the end either um 
And that's when we have two Talon priests and two church strongmen step up after the one guy says he's heard enough. The kids start running, except for three. Quoth, a sealish boy and a little girl with bare feet. The taller of the two priests, who we learn is named Endless, um, and I believe the other one's called Anthony. The, the taller of the two priests... Um, people latch onto because he's said to have sunken eyes that smoldered like half hidden coals and a carefully trimmed beard, the color of soot, which sharpened the edges of his knife blade face. People think that this might be cinder actually, um, because of the black eyes and the sharp face and because of, um, Cathay's comment about, um, you'd think a man with coal black eyes would make an impression when he stopped to buy a drink. But if that was Cinder, I mean, it's been three years since he's seen Quoth. You'd think that he'd recognize him, right? Like, I don't think this is Cinder, but anyway. And Endless is a tale in justice, charges Scarpy with, with heresy, and then kind of has this little, this little chit chat, uh, with the barman. And these priests just give me, you know, the creeps and it's just kind of building the tension. The other kids have left. Quoth manages to catch Scarpy's eye and he gives a little half smile. Um, and Scarpy starts taunting the churchmen uh, with his deep voice, even though they mock him and beat him up a bit. Um, and he... He does say, I, it's not as if I expect you to bound off looking for Haleyaks in the seven yourself. Um, and then Scarby starts saying something about Taylu and the justice says, do not speak his name. Scarby says, come now, airless. Taylu hates you even more than the rest of the world does, which is quite a bit. And that is funny, but it's also like, how do you, do you mean that? Like, do you know Taylu, man? Uh, and they kick him a bit. And, and Quoth says, you have no idea how mercy, you know, you asking me to, that you telling me that God should have mercy on my soul. You don't know how that funny that is. And that's when, that's when he seems to dress the air in front of him. And Scarby says, you should run Quoth. There's nothing to be gained by meddling with these sorts of men. Head to the rooftop, stay where they won't see you for a while. I have friends in the church who can help me, but there's nothing you can do here. Go. And Quoth is out. And then in 29, the doors of my mind, he's, he, he opens the doors. He, he finds things long forgotten. My mother fitting words together for a song, diction for the stage, three recipes for tea to calm nerves and promote sleep, finger scales for the lute. And then he spends a long time thinking about the Chandrian, thinks dark and vengeful thoughts. Um, and he does remember what Haleyak says to Cinder, who keeps you safe from the Amir, the singers, the Sith, from all who would keep you, from all who would harm you in the world. And Quoth, little Quoth is like, okay, you know, 
I don't know who the singers of the Sith, the Sitha were, but everyone knew that the Amir were church knights, the strong right hand of the Aeteran Empire. Not true, according to Florian, and, and Will and Sim will debate that. Unfortunately, everyone also knew that there had been no Amir in 300 years. They had been disbanded when the Aeteran Empire collapsed, but Haliax had spoken of them as they still existed. And Scarby's story implied that the Amir had begun with Selatos, not with the Aeteran Empire, as I had always been taught. There was obviously more to the story, more I needed to know. And isn't that just the story of Quo's life? What made my parents' song so different, he asks. And he says, there's only one place for me to go, man. I got to figure this out. He finds rhetoric and logic under all his stuff, his 27 pennies, his crude pair of salt dice, and his single tatty shoe. With the inscription inside, Quoth, defend yourself well at the university. Make me proud. Remember your father's song. Be wary of folly. Your friend, Abanthi. And then we get into Quoth going to the university for the first time. But man, there's so there's just so much to parse in those chapters. Scarpy really gives Quoth a lot to think about. And oh, I didn't really mention this, but the second day, you know, I wonder who asked for the story to talk more about Selatos and the angels and the Amir, because it seems like that story picked, you know, that second day's story that Quoth came um, after morning, like who asked for that story? Cause that seems like a direct follow-up direct sequel. Maybe the kids thought that that story was a banger and they wanted to hear it again. But uh, unfortunately there were more people than uh, last time in the half mast and Poor Scarpy got carted off to church jail. The Talons really are not um, good, really seem like good people, especially in Tarbian. There's there's just kind of like, there's definitely, well, except for Trappist, who, who we probably think was a Talon. He seems like a good dude. But it seems like they manipulate the kids or steal the kids or do something bad with them when they go into the church. Um and that creeps me out. I don't like that. So I'm glad the Talons didn't get Quoth. And I'm hoping that Trappist is secretly Scarpy's friend in the church and that someone can get him out. And, you know, if and of course, if he's secretly Taberlin or Skiop or someone, um, he might be able to bust himself out. So let's get into some theories. And then um, after the theory discussion, I'm going to read a couple letters, uh, like I said, that arrived from the Tinker. So these first theories, first couple theories I'm going to talk about are ones that I have seen discussed most often in my seven years of King Killer Chronicle fandom. Um, and the first one is how does Scarpy know Quoth's name? Does he call his true name and Quoth just hears it as Quoth? You know, his long, deep name. Or does he actually know Quoth somehow? Now, people did believe. First, I want to shout out listener Jim. I'm going to read a, a longer letter from him later. But he did have this similar question about Scarpy. I think a lot of others uh, always have. Now, um, I know I've said that I thought maybe Arladen met Scarpy somewhere along the way, and that's how Scarpy knows Quoth. But some people think 
there are holes to poke in that theory and other, I know other people think Scarpy is one of the great people, uh, in the past, like a, a namer or a knower or a shaper or a listener. I guess it's most possible out of all of those. I might've made listener up namer and knower to me are the most possible for Scarpy being that I don't, I don't even the Faye listener name or knower shape or stuff is, is way beyond me. So anyway, back to my kind of basic assumption that, that, um, Arladen knew Arladen somehow had met Scarpy and that's how he knew quote that quote that doesn't really make sense. I guess I assumed that because master Lauren had heard of Arladen the bard and I thought maybe Scarpy had heard of Arlid in the Bard, but then I don't know <clears throat> when he would have learned of Quoth unless they came to Tarbian or met Scarpy when Quoth was very young. And that's where Arladin heard part of the Landray story, but he hasn't been working on it very long. Anyway, RJ, that doesn't make very sense. That very much sense. And when um, listener Jim wrote in, he pointed out that if Scarpy knew Quoth was, Arl- was Arlet and Sonny, could have just talked to him and taken him in. And I, yeah, he certainly know he certainly knows him, knows something. I think it's more likely to be a name of the wind thing, and by that I mean Earl of Seti. That Scarpy spoke a name that sounded like Quoth to Quoth and woke him up. Perhaps he spoke Quoth's long true name. Remember, much like Celatos, when he curses Haliax, speaks his long true name. And if you if you don't remember Air Levseti, or maybe don't pronounce it like like I do, that's the name that Elodin speaks in Quoth's presence when he's bringing him out of his shock. Remember, he says, air Levseti, and Simon says, what? Wind? Intimating to me, that's truly the name of the wind. And that it also, remember, when they're in the crockery, Elodin calls, says, Sire Basalian, or something like that. And I think that's the name of copper, because it rips through the wall. And remember, other names like iron and fire, we just hear their calling names when Quoth tells us he hears them. I have to say, I don't really know where I come down on this question now that my, I'm, I'm going to set aside the Arladin theory, the connection to Arladin. It doesn't really make sense. I guess the only reason it would make sense is if Scarpy is connected to the, the Chandrian or the, or the Amy or something somehow and knew Heard it through the grapevine that someone's out here digging up the story of Lanray and Haliax. But Quoth never gave his name to Cinder. So there's, I mean, I'm just talking nonsense at this point. And I don't want to give you guys nonsense. I try to give you guys delicious, nutritious, thought-provoking content every month or so. And 60% of the time, it works every time. So I'm going to move on from that one. I don't know. I think it's most likely that he is a, uh, I guess a knower or a namer Scarpy is, or, and I'll get into this later. He's somebody, right? People online like to theorize that Braden is Cinder 
right? And that Dena is the moon or Dena is the wind. And that Quoth is Taberlin or Elodin is Taberlin. So we'll get into all that later. Question number two. I talked about this off the top a bit. Is Scarpy's story about Lanray true? What about his story about the angels? And I also, I put this in bold in my little notes. Maybe I should start sharing my little notes. Um, remember that Scarpy says you have to be a little bit of a liar to tell the story the right way. What I, I interpret that as embellishing, not actually lying about the details of the story, but well, lying in a little white lie kind of way, not in a, the fish was this big and you're saying it was five times bigger, but just, you know, something smaller, like the fish fought you a little more than it actually did or that the, anyway. I don't, I haven't fished in, in forever. All right, let's reel it in. It took me about 10 rereads before I started questioning this. And I honestly, I can't tell you folks now how many times I've listened to these books because I really only read them for this podcast. Very often I will have them on as audiobooks because sometimes my mental health needs me needs something um, on at all times. I need to have the TV playing or a, a YouTube, like a peaceful YouTube video in the background or an audiobook or a podcast. So I've listened to Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear both maybe a dozen times. Um, so I think about these stories a lot, but often it's not a close read. Often it's just a comforting read. Um, something familiar that I can do my dishes or even work and just kind of tune it out, but know that it's there. Something comforting is there. Anyway, that's just a little insight into my daily life. I'm listening to the name of the wind all day. Not really. But what if this, what if this isn't true? What if Scarpy left something out unintentionally? What if he left something out intentionally? What if he put the blame on Lanray when it was really Celatos's fault? What if what happened didn't really happen? That that's probably taking it too far. Um, we, and we can't really, can't really fact check it even against Shahin's story about the creation war and the Chandrian, because, um, it doesn't, it doesn't tell the story as it doesn't tell about the Chandrian and Haliax as in depth as the Lanray story does. It speaks more broadly of the empire more in that Adam way, I guess of not saying as much. There's no story of Lanray there. We get Alaxel being hated, hopeless, sleepless, insane, which connects to all the bits we have about Haliax being able, unable to sleep and his own admission that that madness is beyond him. So we're kind of in the dark. And because the story is true to Quoth and cements what happens to his parents and, you know, figures out, fits in pretty nicely. Okay, he said, my parents have been singing the wrong sorts of songs. That means... Um, that means no one's allowed to sing songs about the Chandrian. And then that's further confirmed at the Mothin farm. 
So it makes sense, but since this is a theory show and I like to go off the rails a little bit sometimes, we we can we can assume that. And I mean, well, it's not even really an off the rails theory. I shouldn't really have said that because Quoth we've all kind of I think in the fandom many have accepted that Quoth can be an unreliable narrator. Possibly is, definitely could be seems like one. So why can't Scarpy be? He, again, I don't want to harp on this too much because I don't think it's that deep. But when Scarpy says you have to be a liar, again, to tell the story a little, tell the story right way, he said when, well, when Quoth asked him, is it true? Is this, was this story true? Scarpy, that's when he drops the little line about having to be a liar to tell the story the right way, but he also says this one really happened, if you know what I mean. So he does dodge the question, yes, what happened happened. I didn't necessarily tell it to you truthfully. I'm going to link on Reddit to uh, a thread where someone pointed out there might be a deeper connection between Jack's, I guess, Ajax, between Ajax and Lanray that Scarpy's story misses. Um, that's, and the theory said Ajax might've possessed Lanre before, or after Lanre defeated him. Thus the phrasing, I am no longer the Lanre you knew. My name is Haliax. And the, the obvious link to Ajax, why would Lanre, why would, first of all, Lanre probably knew who Ajax was because Ajax stealing them. Yeah. Lanray definitely knew who Ajax was. What am I talking about? Because Ajax, I believe was the great enemy, right? Spoke to the Cathay before he stole the moon. My assumption was that Lanray named himself after Ajax because because he had been so marred by darkness after Lyra's death and his inability to die that he named himself after Ajax as kind of a self punishment. Um, but if he was possessed by Ajax or if Ajax was a skin dancer, the phrasing, I am no longer the land where you knew my name is Haliax. And the obvious, you know, that obvious link to Ajax. I, I like that theory. I'm, I'm going to try to remember to link it. Um, and if that's true, I wonder if somehow, I mean, if Ajax has been, well, if Ajax land, if Ajax has really been out this whole time and working through Lanray as Haliax, that's interesting. That might change the whole thing because it wouldn't be, I mean, that would, that might change the whole yeah, that would change the whole reason for Haliax's mission, if it was really Ajax in there, instead of a beleaguered, unable to die, unable to sleep Lanray. I'm blowing my own mind right now, guys. I'm just like staring off into space thinking about this. Thanks, Reddit. But, you know, if that's true and Lanray's possessed, I wonder if he can somehow be redeemed. I mean, I don't know how his body would be alive, although he's not human because 
he turned into Haliax before the Amir were created and they were no human Amir. So that means to me that Lanray is not human. He was whatever the Fae were before they were Fae so he could be alive. Anyway, oh my God. I'm just going, going, going. And, you know, if, if, you know, so there are certainly things Scarpy could have, again, left out, whether he meant to or not. But if his story is false entirely, that means Denna's story might be true and that Celatos is a monster. And I believe other people other than myself have seen and mentioned connections between Celatos and the Cathaya. Although the timeline doesn't really work out because Bass says, I believe Lanray spoke to the Cathay before he orchestrated the fall of Mir Terennial. So, and Celatos hadn't seen him in a while. But I do, they do have some similarities, right? I'm not going to grab my book at this point because I'm comfy and I'm because I'm um, rolling on this take, but it sounds like Celatos, you know, didn't leave Mir Terennial and almost didn't leave his tower and was so wise, had this sight, and people came to him for advice, which kind of sounds like Cathay. Not being able to leave the tree, people come to it for advice, but if but it could really be that Celatos was cruel and was really the one pulling the strings. And that one's interest. That, that thought is interesting to me. Celatos equals Cathay again with this X equals Y thing. I know that probably drives some people crazy. It doesn't a hundred percent add up, but, but it's fun to think about. And I, uh, about, uh, Dennis song. I don't think Foth mentions this, but I wonder what the end is. I Lyra isn't really mentioned. I don't think so. I guess Lanray just is celebrated as a hero for defeating Celatos. Yeah. I wonder how that story ends and man, what Dennis song was. So many people heard that song. According to Quoth, it became very, very popular. Well, thinking of Denna makes me think of Master Ash, which is almost 100%. Well, it's, my next episode is not going to be Master Ash, but it's going to be Brayden, who a lot of people think is Master Ash. So, And I was just thinking of Denna's song and that Bray, or Ash has, her looking, has Denna looking into old genealogies. So I wonder in what genealogies did she find enough information to piece together this story on Lanray? And it's like, that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting thought is like Arladen, Arladen, I don't, I mean, I think he, they went to like really big libraries so either Master Ash has just been giving Denna all the wrong information and basically like just feeding her, feeding her sources uh, for this or reports of Lanray are different in 
Arladen's libraries versus Dana's libraries, or they were working off the same stuff and found different things, much like the differing accounts of the Amir. I'm way off Scarpy. I'm going to get back to Scarpy. I am wondering it, what his deeper per, what if he has a deeper purpose in in anything? Does Scar is Scarpy just a, a a writer and storyteller who's traveling the world? Maybe, like I alluded to earlier, just kind of stopping over for a few nights, visiting friends, doing a poetry reading getting drunk and writing, looking at girls and doing this thing with the kids cause he can and cause it's fun. Or was he put there by someone put himself there waiting for Kvothe, waiting for someone to ask about land Ray waiting to get arrested. <laughs> we don't know. I, I want to address some of the Scarpy equals a, B, C, D, E. Um, I've seen in my recent research, not necessarily linking, saying Scarpy is these characters, but mentioning him with Skiop, the guy from Kvothe's story. We already talked about him. I don't need to explain him again. Sorry, I'm recording this on a different data than I recorded the other stuff. Selatos himself, maybe Cathay, there are Cathay, that could be a tenuous link, and I kind of threw Ilian in there because why not? I think um, Skiop, who, as someone who became a storyteller with the Edema Rue, would be, and they both have those diamond blue eyes, would be a fascinating one for, for Scarpy really to be. Because that's such a well-known story to Kvothe's family. But I'm not sure. I, I'm not I'm not sure um, about that one. Cathay is interesting because there's some connections I can make there. Um, however, since it seems like Cathay can't leave its tree, then that might not really be the case unless it I don't know. Unless it's like the Cathay's power is held in the tree and its tendrils reach out. Um, and we know Scarpy's mobile. He doesn't, Scarpy is not, does not seem overly malicious like the Cathay. He seems, I don't know, but, but not like that. He, it's not, he doesn't really send Kvothe into the world like an arrow shot because Kvothe does not quite unlock the story about the Chandrian until later. Well, no, no, I guess you could still make that argument that he's like sending Kvothe out against Haliax. But Cathay really mentioned, Cathay points him after really Cinder. So I guess someone could argue they're working in, in tandem. I don't know, but Cathay doesn't lie. And Scarpy says you have to be a story to, are a liar to tell the story the the right way. You know, they say the Adima Runo, all the stories in the world. What if he is Ilian come back? And that's how he knows both's name because he is this, the, the true Adima Ru who knows all the stories in the world, 
even this one growing right now in this little dockside bar in Tarbian, that would be really cool. Um, and him being Celitos himself is just something I threw in there for fun. Celitos only has one eye and Scarpy has two. Sparkling like diamonds. So I have other a couple other questions I want to I want to run through. And I'm I I don't necessarily have answers for these. These are just kind of my Scarpy my Scarpy statements and theories and and if you have any <clears throat> please feel free to reach out and email me. I'm wondering how long he's been in Tarbian telling stories. It seems like at least a little bit, right? Because he's gotten a crowd of kids and Quoth has heard about it down in Trappist's basement. Although Trappist's basement seems like the place for hot gossip. And then when does he leave Tarbian in the inn to travel? It seems likely from Chronicler's own travels. I think I alluded, said this before that, that storytellers or at least authors kind of move around the world in this way to collect research. So for all we know, Scarby was out on a research trip and just needed to put down roots for a bit. I, I also want to know right now, hopefully I'll know in the third book, if he's out looking for Quoth or put on his path for some reason, if, if someone is trying to wake Quoth up purposefully, just like Bast is trying to wake him up now. And if Scarpy has been moving around to try and put Quoth in his path. I also want to know if maybe Scarpy wasn't waiting for Quoth, but he was waiting for someone to ask about Lanray. And I wonder if he knew it would get him arrested. I am curious in the present or in the frame story, why Scarpy doesn't come find Quoth with Chronicler. I wonder how they're connected and if they've met again um, after those couple times in the half mast. We know Scarpy has friends in the church, and uh, we Chronicler is possibly a Talon. Um, we also know Chronicler is a court official. Um, according to Quoth's little comment when he's writing down wills about that seal making him a court official. And I'm, I don't, well, in the Commonwealth, in the Commonwealth, the church has courts. I don't know about in, in Ventus, which is where I think Noir is. Anyway, and I, I love the note that, see him and so there's a connection between him and Alxadal. And again, I think I mentioned this before, so excuse me for going over myself, but they both, when they're telling Kvothe the story, order Fallow's red wine, drink it out of the clay cup. And when they're done with the story, they set the clay cup upside down. When the story is done, I, that, saying that aloud, I, that feels like that has to be an intentional connection almost that, that that's either an old storyteller's trick. The fallows red really kind of throws me. I think they're the only people who order it or doll is connected to, um, my dear friend, our dear friend, Scarpy, your friend and mine. I wonder, you know, that I'm thinking 
I don't know. Alxadol, I know he looks like... Alxadol is an interesting one, too. I'm going to have to do one on him. Because he... Yeah, he's an he's an interesting dude. I'm definitely going to do one on the Masters later. I have... We, you know... As our wait continues for this book, I'm going to continue to have more content to make because there are a lot of characters that I have questions about. Hey, thank you so much to listener, whoever the listener is whose username showed up as Nat Park Lover on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate that five-star review. Thank you very much. Five-star reviews uh, help this podcast reach more listeners, which is fun. We can have more letters and more fun theories to chit chat with on Twitter. So if you're feeling generous and want to rate me on one of the big guys, you can, I believe rate on both Apple podcasts and Spotify. So I want to get into letters, letters, letters from the tinker. And it was hard to kind of hard to find me in the city. You know how Tarbian is always changing. That's where the troops parked right outside and we Went inside to the half mass to record. Um, it's pretty quiet now. But I was able to give him a copper penny, an iron penny, and a silver penny. I think that's uh, what both gives the the one tinker. I didn't have too much extra to, to trade with him. A lot of the stuff I didn't have... I, a lot of the stuff I had wouldn't really travel well. And I, I don't think uh, the tinker wanted any leftover pepperoni pizza. I think he would have cursed me down the road. So this first letter is from Greg. Greg writes, So what are the odds the Chronicler is attempting to write close story as one big yellowish knot, similar to Dennis's letter? Then, of course, that opens the door to Quoth manipulating the story to control the magic. Just a crackpot thought. My guess, that is not plausible since we only have one more book. Which, speaking of, at what point does Quoth's story enter the present? Thank you, Greg. Well, my first thought on Yellow Schnatz is Quoth talking on his way back from Ventus when he's talking about how he can't tie the sailor's knots, but he is a dab. He doesn't have a knack for tying tying the sailor's knots, but he does. Ha- he has a dab hand at untying them. So I like that question and that theory, Greg, especially about Quoth manipulating the story to to control the magic because Quoth is telling his story to Chronicler his own way. And he's definitely weaving his way around certain things and through certain things, if you'll pardon the pun. I think, I don't know what he's weaving. It is possible that he is trying to use the power of writing to make something happen or to make something true. I think that's very, very possible. And I, I, I'm talking about Quoth here. I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't know about Chronicler writing Quoth's story as a big Yelish knot. I would, I would more believe that Quoth is trying to weave something and maybe change something with the story. I don't really think Chronicler had really, unless I'm totally misreading him and he has a higher purpose, which he might, I talked about that a bit my last episode, but I think he was just kind of looking to see if this rumor was true. Your question about the frame story coming in is interesting. And you're right that one book is not a lot of time 
seemingly right to catch all of this up unless we have some time jumps or things move very quickly. I, I know Pat has said that Quoth will go to the vintage capital of Rhaenyra in day three, which of course is where King Roderick Calanthus is that I'm still pushing my theory that that's the King he kills. We should take all the signs. And I think Pat said that we're going to spend less than half the book. I feel like he said maybe a third of the book only at the university. So I do, we're definitely going to go to Rhaenyra and that probably in that second bit. I don't know why, unless it's Chandrian related or some kind of research related, or he truly does get run out of the, of the university. I mean, maybe he kills someone in Imre and then runs away to Ventus and the Fae. We don't really know. So I think we'll, yeah, we'll probably see the King killing and whatever happens at Imre. We have to see what happens with Denna. And then I assume he's going to tell Chronicler how he met Bast unless Bast doesn't want to be in the story or both snubs him in some way. It's hard to know. Um, thank you very much, Greg. I really appreciate your question and for you writing in. I'm glad you like the podcast. This next one is from Jim on Brayden. And again, this is a little tease that next month, Jim, you didn't even know. Jim, I'm going to tease it later. I'm sorry, man. Let me have, let me let you have your moment in the spotlight. I'm going to read you a letter first. Jim says, by the way, another thing that's been bothering me recently, I wonder if you have a take on. I'm on the same page with you that after all these years, I'm willing to entertain almost any tinfoil, but I've reversed myself on one of the most popular theories. I don't think it makes any sense for Brayden to be Cinder because he simply is nothing like Cinder. I mean, in terms of personality characterization. Rereading the massacre of the troop really drove that home for me. He could be another Chandrian, sure, but he has such a specific and strong personality. If it turns out he is Cinder, I think that will be totally shitty writing on Pat's part. And I really don't expect to see that. I know that they are getting better at, quote, hiding their signs and all, but I think that probably means blue flame and rust, etc. Even glamours are not hiding anyone's personality in these books. It would be like Sandra Glegain pretending to be Maester at the Citadel or something. Just not story coherent in any way. Thank you, Jim. And I hope, I'm pretty sure I'm, I've only seen a few episodes of Game of Thrones in my life, but I do, I'm, Sandor's the Hound, right? I'm going to have to look that up later. Um, I'm going to look that up now so I don't embarrass myself. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I just looked it up and yes, it is. And also like the fourth <laughs> was Sandor Clegane ex-reader like for Sandor and reader fanfic anyway yeah I just really haven't seen that much Game of Thrones I just know that it's I, I'll watch a lot of clips and I just because I'm a citizen of the internet and I'm on the internet all the time I see people talk about what happens and I will watch videos about what happens because I like the action and like the good dramatic scenes I hence why I know why Sandor or Clegane or Clegan is the hound because I know enough about Game of Thrones, but I'm not a huge fan. So sorry to disappoint anyone, anyone, everyone. So Jim, you didn't know this, but I recently recorded an episode all about Brayden with my three good friends Nick, Jeremy, and Jordana from the Name of the Wind podcast. And I'm planning for that to be the January podcast. And since the first, 
Sunday in January is January 1st, New Year's Day, and it's already recorded. I'm hoping that that's going to be a New Year's Day treat for you all talking about Brayden. But I'm 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 not saying I'm not talking about it now. I'm just telling y'all that we're going to have a special treat for the new year. Now, I'm going to agree with you that I'm going to agree with you, Brayden. I don't think Brayden is sender because I agree with you about the hiding their signs. Because, you know, Cinder is winter's chill and except, you know, people who think Cinder is Master Ash will point to the fact that it was cold in the fishery and the glass cracked the day there was the fire. That was also the day Denna met Ash. But I don't know. We, we know Ash is around in Severin and we, we don't hear that it's getting cold. Like we don't really hear about things getting weirdly cold anywhere else. So if Ash is Cinder and I know you weren't talking about Ash, but since a lot of people also think Brayden is master Ash and we know from, we, we think from Cathay here that Master Ash is cruel. We, he, we talk about him beating Denim with his walking stick. Now people have argued that that's wordplay and Cathay really means it's all a gay game to him because they're talking about using, they're talking, Cathay is talking about him beating her in a game or beating her in, in, in practice. Denna is, is ask, has a good relationship with this guy and is asking him to help her defend herself. And she, yes, she is getting beat and she is getting welts, but it's from like training. Some people say that rather than, you know, one, rather than believing it's the fact that he's just beating the shit out of her. And I bring this up, Jim, my good friend, because I want to, I'm wondering if you know, if you think Braden is Ash. Because if so, I would kind of push back on your note that Cinder is much crueler than Brayden appears to be. Yes, I agree with you there. But if we're thinking maybe Brayden equals Ash, that opens the door for me to say, okay, this guy does have some cruelty on him. Because, And now if you don't think Brayden is Ash, then then definitely I agree with you. Brayden, I do think Brayden does, though, give off some air of there's something I don't even think sinister or foreboding are right, but he's definitely holding something back. It's knowledge. It it might be a bit of personality, and I will say... He does get kind of ruthless with Quoth in tack to teach him a lesson that it's about a beautiful game and you should want to play the beautiful game. And I think that's a little weird. I think he's he's just a little weird. And I, I think it, it goes beyond eccentric into kind of, okay, dude. Like when people, like he's just a little bit too intense about tack. But otherwise, he seems perfectly fine. I think if if Brayden has a mask on, it is it's hiding that wolf that's 
inside him. Uh, that wolf's cane, that wolf's head cane, because, you know, he said to have owlish eyes, but I definitely think that that man is a predator. And I'm going to leave it at that. So I'll see you all on January 1st, barring any editing complications. Um, you know, in a little little post-holidays down quiet time, it might be nice to, to put this together. So hopefully I'll see you on the 1st. Uh, thanks for letting me be a little late on this. I just was a little sick around Thanksgiving and then you know how all that, you know, you know how Thanksgiving, well, if you're, I'm sorry, many of you might not know how Thanksgiving goes, but, uh, but hopefully you understand me when I say that family time around the holidays is, 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 is special and stressful, especially when there's, there's travel involved. So just a whole lot going on, but I'm always excited to be with you guys. I hope you enjoy this one. I record this in bits, but it looks like it's going to be a decently long one and I hope everybody enjoyed it. I hope everyone has a happy and healthy holiday season. I'll see you soon. Keep breathing, drink some water, change your sheets. This is just life advice now. Don't forget to wash your legs and your feet. Tell people you appreciate them while they're still here. Mmm, that got deep. Take care of yourselves and each other. Don't let Incanus catch up to you this midwinter and enjoy yourselves. Until the next time, I'll see you where the roads meet. May all your stories be glad ones and your roads be smooth and short. Goodbye.